Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Plus 2,000 years of church history, we see the beauty of it all. When we really look at God's handiwork and the beauty of what he does, it's perfect what he's doing in his church. Which, for each one of us individually, we need to be reminded that we can trust God with his perfect plan in our life. So whether I saw, I saw a new for sale sign in my neighborhood today. Man's not perfect. We have plans. We trust people. It goes well. We trust people. It doesn't go well. God's way is perfect. So whether you're selling your house and moving to Texas or Florida or Idaho or anywhere else in between, we can trust him to lead us in his perfect plan. Or we're saying, you stay here. Because, you know, if everyone starts selling your houses, you ever get that panic attack? I don't know why, but when I saw the house, I'm like, oh, another person leaving California? I'm not leaving California. And we're definitely not selling real estate on Eden Beach. And it's got an ebb and flow. We're like the Chinese. We're playing the long game. Or more importantly, we're like Jesus, we're playing the long game. Still, though, you think that, right? Think how many people we watch come and go. Everyone that's come to me and said they're leaving, I've supported them and encouraged them and loved on them. I was thinking about Pastor Alex today, like what a brilliant call it was for them to move to Texas. And he's done a better job doing our radio edits and all of our podcasts than he did here. Not to take away from the job he did do here, because he did a great job. But he hasn't, he hasn't missed one beat since he moved away. And what he works independently for us, for all the stuff that you hear on our K-Wave podcast, it's all Alex. He's still connected. We keep in touch. We talk. It's cool. But he was called to leave California. See, when we're deciding relationships, when we're deciding careers, when we're, just, when we're going through divorce and heartache and we're burying people we love and all these things, we can trust that God's way is perfect for our life, that he, will, he truly, for the follower, will cause all things to work together for good and take us forward in that goodness, that there'll be, like it says again in the book of James, the, what the end that the Lord intended for Job when his life was restored, to, all the things were restored to him, that the end that was intended by the Lord was good. We can trust that plan because it is good. And Romans 8.28 was another one of the first verses I memorized in the Bible because I thought, well, this means no matter what goes wrong, God can turn it around for good. I, I've believed that for 35 years, 36 years. Do you believe that, worship generation? Because you've seen a difficult day. We've all seen a difficult day. And the longer we live, the more, out we're gonna, more likely we'll see more difficult days. So we, we have this firm foundation as for God versus as for man, because man's way is not perfect, but God's way is perfect. Creation, salvation, his personal call in our life. We can trust him when he says, let go of pro surfing, go in the ministry. Receive the invitation of Brian Broderson, become a pastor. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. And now it's been 35 years. And by the way, let me say, because some of you are near the end of your career. Some of you are semi-retired. Some of you may be beginning a second career. Let me tell you something. It's a really good feeling to be approaching my 62nd birthday, having been a pastor for 35 years. That was a really good decision to obey the call of God in my life because I wasn't so sure I'd do it. And the first year of ministry, I was trying to figure out how to get out of ministry because, <laughs> you know, I thought it is a bait and switch right here. 
And now that I'm 61 and going to be 62, 35 years of ministry, 35 years of marriage, all early part of next year. And, you know, when you're 61, you can't go redo it, right? Come on now. There's younger people here, older people, right? You can't go redo it. You are who you are, and you did what you did. Now, you still have a little window of how you want to finish the fourth quarter, but still, God's way is perfect. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you desires of your heart. Seek the Lord in all things, and he will direct your path. That's what we're called to do. And we can't live on, we can't drink the water from old cisterns, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, water from blue 55-gallon tanks in my backyard, but we're called to drink the living water every day with the Lord. We're not living in the past with the Lord. We're going forward in the present with the Lord. His manna was never meant to be put in a jar and saved for tomorrow like leftovers. The manna is today, and the plan is today. So we got to know that God's way is perfect. And if you feel like you look at your life like it hasn't been so perfect, know this, the story's not done. When we stand before the Lord and we look back at our life, and we will stand before the Lord and we will look back at our life, we'll know that everything he did and we allowed him to do was perfect. Without blemish, spotless, perfect, reflective of universal wisdom that only God alone, who's the center of the universe, Lord of the universe, holding it together, who gave us a son, he alone is that perfection. And we'll see whatever we submitted to and obeyed him in and allowed in his life, it was, in our life through his spirit, was perfect. The willingness to move here, the willingness to let go of that there, the willingness to cry and surrender this to the Lord, the willingness to go after this, and who even knows what it means? But we went for it. God's way is perfect. And sometimes you walk away from something, and you go like, I don't even know what that was all about, like us in Vermont. Still, though, I grew more that year than any other year in my walk with the Lord. It was a good thing. We need to believe as an anger to our heart and soul, our very being as a woman, as a man, that we need to trust God that his way is perfect. And whatever he wants to do in our personal life, because it's perfect in creation, it's perfect in redemption, it's, it's, it's perfect in his plan for humanity overall, in the ages, and the dimension, and it is perfect for you and I, because Jesus says he knows the hairs on our head. So we seek him every day. We acknowledge him, we delight ourselves in him, and we let him guide every aspect of our life. And we trust that whether it's going the way we think it should or the storms of life are going against us, we've built our house on a rock and his way is perfect and it will be perfect. And I've struggled with different things in 35 years with Jesus, but I've never struggled with believing that his plan is perfect. So I'm grateful for that. Because I've seen some people just give up on the Lord because, like, nah, his plan's not a good plan. I'm like, uh, I'm an idiot, but I know his plan's a good plan. We also see that his word is proven. And we're reminded tonight, as a church family, that his word is proven. In Isaiah, God said that he tells us the future before it happens. Isaiah 54 is like, there's no, I'm a rock, there's no rock like me. I'm a God who's a rock, there's no other rock. And he says, you put me to the test, I tell you things before they happen, and they happen. And we know his word is proven, and we know even in David's life. So David had a journey, and at the end of his life, he said his way is, God's way is perfect. He, he could declare that with all that he went through. And then here, he says that his word is proven. And David had trusted in God's word, the law of God, because he talks about the law of God in his Psalms and so on and so forth. But he always believed in God's word, and it was proven. Think about this. He's a teenager, and Samuel anoints his head with oil when he's like 17 and says, you're going to be the future king. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think it's reasonable to conclude it. When you charge a giant 
you're probably more confident if, the, if the, the greatest prophet of the last 300 years came to your house and poured oil over your head and said you're going to be the king. Like, that's faith. That's not a foolish faith. Like, God anointed him to be king, and in his mind, that whole battle with Goliath in the valley in 1 Samuel 17 had nothing to do with him against Goliath. It was like serving the Lord and doing what's right for the Lord and stepping up as a leader for the Lord and going out and doing it, and he got it done. David was a great man of faith, and he, he applied God's word. He trusted God's word, and was even probably even more impressive is he received reproof from it. How about when Nathan the prophet said, Thou art the man, and David said, You're right. Isn't it nice that when, as disappointed as it is to see some of the things we've seen with David in 2 Samuel, isn't it nice that when he's reproved for his sin, he didn't make any excuses, he didn't blame Bathsheba, he didn't blame Uriah, he didn't blame this, that, the Edomites, anything else like we so often do. He said, I'm guilty. That might be his best moment. Because if you and I and our shortcomings can receive before the Lord our guilt and confess our sins, then we're going to be healed and we can go forward. That's where the word really comes in. Because we're told in 2 Timothy that the word of God is, is inspired by God. That it's inspired word. And it's profitable for instruction, training, and what? Correction and reproof. So for all the times we read the Bible, we're like, oh, God's way is perfect. Yes, you know, by my God, I can jump over a wall. Then the Bible's like, hey, if you did this, you need to make it right. You're like, oh, didn't see that coming this morning. And that's where we want to receive it. God's word is proven. God's word. So David, when, this, when the prophet comes to his house and anoints him to be king at 17, he never picked up the javelin and threw it back at Saul. He came through it all and he was established as king. When he failed as a king and another prophet came and reproved him, he received it. He received the word of God. And so he says at the end of his life, the word of the Lord is proven. And isn't it? I mean, of all things I can say in 61, make no mistake, the word of the Lord is proven. We know that. The word of the Lord is proven. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Galatians chapter 6. Like, it's so proven Gravity is proven. Science, the physical sciences that are, are sciences, they're absolute. And so is God's word. It is proven. The promises are absolute. God says, put me to the test on tithing, and I'll pour out the heavens upon you. So bountifully, you read bountifully. Either you believe it and you apply it or you don't. But he certainly doesn't change. Like, he says it's so. And the moment we became way more generous, and this is a very generous church. In fact, it's insane what we're, what, how generous this church is. But I'm using this as a context for my life. But when I decided I was going to really, Jennifer and I agree that we're going to crank up what we're doing in sowing, well, we've been sowing and growing. See, the word of the Lord is proven. I'm reminded of that tonight because right now we could walk out these doors and look at news and look at news releases and look at something like, how is God's words proven? Because it would seem that like the wicked, like, you could question if God's word is being established. But his, his word is established. Again, it's a long game. God's word will prove itself over the entire existence of the human experience. And it'll be proven true and correct. We are not going to step into eternity and find that anything in his word was less than complete and perfect for every good work that God has for our life. 
We're going to be like Billy Graham when we believe. The Bible says, and once we come to that conclusion, and that's the authority of our life, we are going to be fruitful from here to eternity. And, you know, when we're old and very old, let the word be our foundation. And let it just be everything that we believe in and stand on. You know, when I go in and minister to people who are dying, which I do, when they're people of faith, it's just so wonderful. Like, Jesus is coming. And I'm like, I'm not like putting on some like performance, like a mime at Disneyland or, you know, Knott's Berry Farm or something. I'm a spirit-filled man with the truth. And when I'm telling believers, Jesus is coming. He's coming in this room. He's coming to receive you in glory. He's going to call you like Stephen in the book of Acts. And you're going to be transformed from glory to glory. And he's going to bring you through the shadow of death. And he's coming for you. And you're going to glory. And you'll forget everything that ever was wrong in this life. And you'll be where there's no more tears and sorrows. You'll be in glory in a whole other dimension with Jesus. And I, I've seen people go like, like that. And I know what I'm speaking is true. But as for man, what am I going to say? Well, it's all over here. Survival of the fittest. It's not even worth addressing. As for God, his way, his way is perfect and his word is proven. And where we see, I haven't said this for a while, but this is the beauty of God's word. Our greatest act of faith in life is our last day. Because on the last day, we transcend this dimension. And all that we believed, and all that we sacrificed, and all that we let go of, and all that we forgave, and all that we sowed, and all these things, whatever happened, all the injustices, however it played out, on that last day, God has reserved that we all must face the grave. We must face the grim reaper. All of us. And on that last day, when I face the grim reaper, I'm going to put every promise of God's word between me and him, and I'm going to go right through him like an evil ghost that he is. And I'm going to go right through him to my Lord and Savior, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from him. He has power to lay it down and raise it up. And he's coming for us, and he's coming in glory. And Stephen said, I see him standing at the right hand of the Father right now while he was facing the grim reaper. And that's what's going to happen for all of us in faith. And that's our greatest act of faith. Because I'm believing God to come for you and for me in glory. When I said goodbye to Christy Estes just six months ago before she stepped into eternity, and many of you loved her and knew her, she was in so much physical pain the day I saw her. Oh, it was worse pain than I ever had with my bad back, which was an eight. She's in so much pain. And I just told her, he's coming for you in glory. And there's a few things we talked about with no one else in the room, which is between me, her, and the king. But I said, oh, he's coming. You're right there. You're right there. He's coming for you, Christy. She sat here for 10 years and trusted me to teach the entire Bible. And I did. And I was there, and I said, He's coming. And he's coming for you. And you're going to glory. And this wheelchair and all this stuff you've lived with, that'll have nothing to do with where you're going. See, the word of the Lord is proven. And that's truth. Then we read, finally, that he's a shield to all who trust in him. This is an instinct phrase. He's a shield to all those who trust in him. So we have perfection and proven, and we might say the shield is protection. So if you want to use three Ps, we can say that. Perfection, proven, and protection. He's a shield. A shield is a defensive weapon that protects us, and it matches up with the New Testament church because we're told to, having done all, stand. So we stand and hold fast the faith. We declare the faith. We 
are only really identified with spiritual swords in the Bible, the word of God, which we just covered. But he's a shield, which means he's protecting us. But when you think about him protecting us, there's times you go like, well, how's that work? Because in the book of Acts, James was imprisoned and Herod killed him. Then Peter was in prison and the angels released him. And you're like, oh, how's that work? James gets, James gets executed and Peter gets released. And you can start from there and you just go forward. How many times in your own life you might say, well, I'm not sure God was a shield. I mean, if you want to frame things in unbelief, you would have no problem. Just invite the devil over and he'll help you frame everything in your life in unbelief that where you feel like, you know, he can help you build a case that you weren't protected and you weren't covered by his shield. So if you want to do that, you can do it. Obviously, you're not here to do that, so don't. But I just put that out there because... That's what people can do. How many people reject the Lord and say, where was God when my dad died? I had someone say that to me in Vermont. We moved here from New Jersey. My dad died the first week I was here. Where was God when that happened? As if I'm master of the universe, a trillion galaxies. Same place, a woman said to me, you explain to me Cro-Magnon man. In room service, dropping off dirty dishes. What? See, as for man, they, they want to blame God and accuse God for not protecting him or not doing what they thought he should have done. But we, might, we could simply say, like, well, did you ever thank him for all the blessings? Did you thank him when he blessed you or are you just cursing him when you think things didn't go the way you think he should have done things for you? What obligation does God have to do anything for you? Jesus said we should, we should just say we do what we were called to do and we're worthless servants. I don't have a problem with that. Some people do. I don't. I'm glad to be saved by grace, and I know you are too. He's a shield to those who trust in him, but the key to understanding his protection over our life is to make sure we understand what we're protected from. Because history shows the church is not necessarily protected from evil governments. Darn. I was hoping that was in play. The book of Acts are not protected from evil governments. If you study church history, they're not protected from evil governments. In fact, humanity as a whole is not protected from evil governments. You watch all the World War II documentaries, you realize nobody's protected from evil governments. Oh, well, I'm looking for a cushy life, and I want to be protected from evil governments. What if the government's doubling the amount of people, who, the tax collectors, to come get you, and they're giving them weapons and bullets and, and making them sign that they're willing to use force on the citizens? Well, what are you going to do? That's what other governments did. The brown shirts did that. The Gestapo. That's what Stalin's goons did. That's what Ahab did to Naboth to put him in front of a bad city council to lie against him so he could kill him and then take his vineyard. So when you're thinking protection and shield from the Lord, it is not from evil governments or even good governments because the best governments still do things that are less in perfection. And it's not even necessarily completely to be protected, per se, from evil people, because evil people kill good people. It's like, wow, man, so how's this protection working? When, when you know, innocent people are killed by a drunk driver or someone going 100 miles an hour and they lose their family, like, how is that protection? See, people ask pastors stuff like that. Maybe your relatives ask you things like that. I don't have all the answers. I only have the one that matters that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
like I mentioned Tuesday night. Someone's like, well, I heard dogs don't go to heaven. I'm like, the Bible never says that. But I will tell you, people go to heaven who trust in Jesus. And when you get to heaven, there's no more tears and sorrow. So let's, let's kind of go from there. And God loves animals because he made all the original animals vegan. So I'm not going to tell you your dog is in heaven. I'm not going to tell you your dog's not going to be in heaven. The Bible honors men and women who take care of their animals. Proverbs says that. That's a good thing. And you can tell, like, people who take care of their animals are usually, people that are gentle with animals are generally better people. Demented people that are cool to animals are usually demented and cruel to human beings. We've seen that. I mean, criminal law would reveal that. So what is it that God is a shield in our life for? What is it that God is truly protecting us from? The things that affect the next dimension. Our sin. We never have to surrender sin. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And since sin is self-destructive, can we agree as a church that what is better than being protected? No, no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God, who is faithful, will provide a way of escape with the temptation. Like, now that's protection. That in our self-destructive nature, because we know the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. This glory is in earthen vessels. Isn't it nice to know that there's no sin that ever tempts us from here to eternity that we have to surrender to? Now, that right there, I got some heads bobbing right there. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We are protected from the power of sin over our life. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So that means I can put yesterday behind me, yesterday's failures, and Next week's fears behind me, and I can just enjoy this moment with Jesus Christ and the people I love. Yes and amen. Also, his protection is from the devil. The devil's the one who hates us. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's, the, uh, he's a murderer and a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a destroyer. And we are protected from him. Isn't that beautiful to know? Like, no matter what can happen in our life, if it seems good, bad, or anything in between, in the human experience in time, space, and matter, the devil does not have power over you and me, our marriage, our kids, our grandkids, or, or the things we're praying over. We have the power over it. We fight the good fight with our spiritual weapons. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for tearing down strongholds. We have the power over the devil. And we're protected from the devil. So we need to live in fear of what the devil's doing on planet Earth. We live in victory of what Christ has already done and what he's doing in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we're protected from the power of the grave. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, Haiti, where is your mock? There is none, because Christ has crushed you. So even though we're not protected from evil government, evil neighbors, and random acts of evil that human beings perpetrate deliberately or unintentionally upon each other, we are protected from the things that really matter. Sin that destroys us, destroys our soul, destroys our life. The devil who would destroy us and destroy everything we love, and the grave itself that taunts us and hangs over every human soul before we cross the dimension of eternity. It's good to be reminded tonight, on this 13th of August, that as for God, his way is perfect. His word is proven And he's a shield to all those who trust in him. And in the end, these promises that are yes and amen are for those who trust in him. And it comes back to eternity. Because the shield that is protection, the words that are the promise, and the the creation that's perfection, the salvation of redemption that's perfection, 
and the call in our life is perfection. It is all moving toward eternity. And that's why we're told Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. We're just passing through here. This is so brief. The real prize, again, to be reminded tonight, is eternity, to be in glory. And that's all that matters. So for the people, as Jesus said, whose treasures are in heaven, whose people whose mind is set on the things above, as Paul the Apostle said, we're fine. Whose people who trust in our high priest who's ever intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, as the book of Hebrews says, we're fine. And if it's our day, it's our day. And that's it. And if it's our day, David said the days were fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them, and they're all in your hands. Psalm 139. The key to this promise, as for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is proven, he's a shield to all those who trust in him, is to have an eternal perspective in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.